Hi, I'm Rob Zabo. I'm a musician, songwriter, composer, producer, and music editor for film. And you're listening to Talkin' Blues. Weird to call yourself a music editor? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, okay, so when we last spoke, and this would have been in 2019, and it could have been even 2018. I think it was. We were talking about you as a musician and as a producer, and you were getting into a lot of production work at that point. That's right. That's what I basically, I was a performer. I played in bands and had a solo career for years and around 2010 I started producing in earnest and for basically 10 years that's what I did as my main focus and at that point it was almost like you were kind of getting back into performing and looking forward to it because I think you had two residencies that's right and then um but you also when when the podcast ended you were talking about these number of projects that you were involved in that you were very excited about Mm -hmm. how much producing are you still doing I'm not doing nearly as much as I was, uh, you know, when I started in early 2010s. I was doing four or five records a year with different artists. Um, nowadays, I'm doing the odd track. And I'm doing the odd mixing thing. I'm doing more film and TV stuff like you wanted to talk about. And, you know, I'm doing some ads, ad work, sort of jingle work kind of thing. I guess jingle isn't <laughs> what people call it anymore. You know, Don't think. music for commercials is what I mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's 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 funny. At some point, I broke myself out of this one mind way of thinking because I, I, I've always been the kind of guy who's all in on whatever I'm doing. And so I thought, if I'm producing, I'm all in on producing and I won't play and I won't write my own music and I won't do other stuff. But lately, I've just been thinking, why can't I just do it all? Do you but, know what I mean? Because but is that, that partly because of time constraints? Yeah. So obviously there's only so many hours in a day, but you go through different, you know, you produce a record and and sometimes you have downtime. So why not perform? Why not write your own music? Why not do commercials? Why not do film and TV? You know, yeah. and, and if anything, the variety is, is makes it more interesting in a lot of ways. Well, you talked about, when being a producer, you actually composed or worked on writing songs a lot more. And yeah. you worked on it with a lot yeah. more people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember having that realization. There was two big realizations that I went through when I transitioned from, you know, being Rob Zabo, the solo touring singer-songwriter, to being a producer and working on four or five, six records a year and co-writing most of those. You know, you go from maybe releasing a record every two years top, so maybe that's 10 songs, to, you know, like I just said, five or six, and you're co-writing almost all of those, and you're writing 60, 70 songs a year, right? And and seeing them to fruition in one way or another. You know, sometimes I'd just co-write on a record. Sometimes I would actually write and produce. So it was a lot more music. The fact that you're doing less production, does that have more to do with your involvement in your film work or is it by choice or like why are you producing less is it time 
It's it's a few different things. One is it was sort of an evolution of budget shrinking. Just people, uh, the technology maturing to the point where more people are doing it themselves. But also the types of artists that I was working with relied often pretty heavily on funding from you know, OMDC or Factor or Ontario Arts Council. And I'm finding that, that a lot of that funding is shifting. And not only that funding is shifting, but people who used to sell thousands of CDs a year streaming really significantly. You're talking about mid-level artists, regional artists, or people who, you know, were national artists in Canada, but they're not household names. You know, they're on the road, they're selling CDs, they're playing festivals, this kind of thing. So when that those thousands of CDs a year, when that goes from thousands to almost nothing and you know the streaming royalties are like especially for independent artists as opposed to label Mm -hmm. uh it's the the financial side of it changes a lot and that means the kinds of records that you can make all of a sudden uh are not the kinds of records you used to be able to make does that worry you i mean i I presume the grant structure has changed as well i don't know if grants are as readily available it's just more competitive for for you know the people at the top of the food chain are are fighting for the grants just as much as people further down so as it's become so much easier to record an album on your own Mm -hmm. um and in some cases it's probably a necessity yeah yeah exactly that's how i started learning how to do it yeah because it just doesn't make sense to go into an expensive studio and spend a lot of money. Because I went through that and with bands in the 90s and, you know, being with, you know, labels or big management companies. And, you know, people had a certain idea of this is how you made a record. And But I remember two things about that. One, wanting to have more control artistically, but also realizing, oh, seeing where the technology was going and realizing not only can you have more control artistically, but... It doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg. What you do is buy yourself the time, which is what you really need to to sort of see your vision through. However, I, it's my understanding that, you know, I'm still not 100% clear on all the roles that a producer plays. Hmm. But oftentimes it's a, it's, it's a sounding board and it's also um, very helpful for artists to kind of step outside of what they're thinking, mm-hmm. right? So that absolutely, you can hear as a producer, you can hear things go completely different than the artist. Just another set of ears, right? But with the new structure, does that eliminate not to eliminate the need for producers, but limit the amount of people who would go to a producer because the finances aren't there because they kind of have to do everything on their own? Yeah, and, I think if. If I'm reading what you're saying properly, I think I think you're right. I think it, it does hurt the end result because, I mean, I've self-produced. And what I've realized over the years is self-producing isn't really producing because you just can't be objective by definition right. because it's you. That may be the biggest value a producer can bring, meaning, you know, you'd be a great producer. You love music. You know what you like. Having the confidence to 
be honest with someone about what's working and what isn't, that's producing. Right. Although, I mean, you know, you wonder about people's tastes. <laughs> well, it is <laughs> well, all my, about my taste. taste in particular, but, um, <laughs> but I, I wonder about that. Like it's because, you, you know, obviously you come in, you write a song and you have an, a vision for that song. Maybe not a vision, but you have an idea what that song should be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you go in the studio and record it and boom, there it is. That's what you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But if you're working with producer he might say yeah that's good but maybe you should do this add some horns blah blah yeah, blah. yeah. have you thought of it this way yeah maybe it should be uh, a completely different feel maybe sing it from another perspective maybe you know what this song is really strong the chorus is really strong but this other part is really not working i think you could do better you know go and rewrite that or or you know that's not usually the way i work it's more like a question right. like what do you think I, th- you know, what if you tried this? As the way you produce people now, is it different because of what we just talked about? Meaning because I know that uh, self-producing isn't really producing? No, yeah. no, more more because the the financial structure is not there and because people are doing more on their own or... Yeah, there's uh, some of what I've done, like um, people are going into producing roles who who I used to produce. And so often I'll end up taking, this is something that's come up and came up a lot in the pandemic for a lot of producers or people who had been more on the engineering side, which is ironic for me because I came from the music side, but I had to lo- learn so much about the just the tech software uh you know audio engineering side of it so a lot of my musician friends i don't know if you heard about this over covid often a lot of people you know musicians who used to tour had to stop touring and they had time on their hands and so what's the logical thing well i'm going to do a record right but they may not have had the technical skill to really set up their own home studio to run you know pro tools or whatever program they're using so they would lean on their friends who had the skills right so often that would be the role i would take with people these days is sort of advising them in a different way than like strictly producing and taking on all the responsibility so it's like a hybrid okay so tell me about the pandemic and how that affected you so things had already started to slow down a bit because of what i was telling you about you know budget shrinking and you know the whole music industry shifting because of streaming and then all of a sudden nobody could tour and people were not making records because they had no income streams or and no foreseeable income streams and uh if they were making records they were doing it themselves because of what we just talked about so uh, it was pretty grim (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for me in terms of and I'm not the only one you know honestly I, I'm I was in a, lo- a better position than a lot of people in the sense of you know I have a stable relationship I had a roof over my head uh, you know those kinds of things right. not everyone's in that position so but I it still was an anxiety ridden time for me and again I recognize I, I was lucky in a lot of ways and it to make it even luckier 
I got to talking to my friend, Cal Brunker, who is a film director. And we go way back. We've done a lot of projects musically together over the years. And I was just telling him where I was at. <laughs> and he asked me whether I'd consider doing music editing for film because he was working on the first Paw Patrol movie. And so that that was uh, a really lucky break for me. So when he said, oh, would you do this? Did you know what this was? And did you, like, was it an easy answer to say yes, other than maybe it was work that you needed to get? So I didn't know. I'd heard the term music editor before, but I didn't really know what it meant. I knew there was a lot of sound work to be done in movies. Um, and I knew, you know, at the end of the process, the re-recording engineers, that kind of stuff. That's not, I'm not that level of engineer. So I knew that wasn't going to be my role. So, and I also knew that score, I do a fair bit of composing and I've done like I was talking about ads and stuff like that. But in terms of orchestral, strictly orchestral composing for like a big budget Hollywood movie, that's not my wheelhouse either. That's that's a whole specific thing. But it doesn't have to be an orchestral score. Well, it doesn't. But I guess what I'm saying is if someone's looking for an orchestral score at that high level, I'm not that guy. Right. Okay. And I knew that. So I guess just to, this is a long way of answering your question of like, I knew there was music work in movies and I thought, where could I fit? If, if I thought about it, I thought, oh, the composing side that was, I think, where you were going with it, which is like, you know, guitar, um, ambient kind of scoring, not orchestral, just kind of vibe scoring. I could do that, and I have done some of that, and that'd be great, but I didn't know music editing. It turns out is something I've been training for my whole life. <laughs> Can you, I mean, if I said, well, what is it? Can you explain to people Absolutely. Very few people know what it is. So... I just told you about score. It's not that. So go see a big Hollywood movie. So the score is the orchestra music. Um, but most movies also have pop songs in them, interspersed. And it's a funny thing because the precedent that's been set is like you're watching this movie and all of a sudden a pop song comes on and it's it's like doesn't seem to have any continuity. But anyway, that's, you know, <laughs> that's how, that's, that's what we live with and it's great, right? Um, so all of those pop songs, they call them needle drops in film, is they have to be, they're, they're not in the same form that they were if you just got the album, right? They're always, they're almost always very heavily edited. Right. That's what the music editing is. And the reason that is, is because there's a whole bunch of boxes you have to check. Like you can't have lead vocal overlapping with dialogue. You, you know... You want it to act like score in the sense that you want it to heighten the emotional intent of the scene. And the way the song was recorded for the album is not always in the right order. Like you you might want the arc to go differently. So then you have to move stuff around. So the with all of that in mind, the way the process works is usually especially I'm working on animated movies so that the way they work, they start with dialogue and everything is temp from the beginning. So it's a lot of temp music, which will mean all the needle drops, meaning the pop songs, they've already got basically placeholders in the style that they want. And then eventually they need to replace them. 
And so they'll get me, the music editor, to edit, let's say, 10 songs at a time to fill that slot. Usually it's like a one-minute cue. And I'll edit 10 different versions of 10 different songs. And they'll say, yes, yes, no, 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 no. So the two yeses, I've got to you know, do you know five or six revisions of those. And then they'll decide which one they're going to use. Often, they may go through... I think on the last movie, some of the cues that were a minute long, I went through 60 different songs before they they chose one. Wow. So Isn't that wild? It is wild. But I can understand how tedious filmmaking can be. But I, so can you just go back to the idea of the pop song? Because mm-hmm. that automatically like it conjures up an image for me mm-hmm. as to songs you hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily what you mean, or is it? But it... it it depends what style of movie is. I mean, go to a movie that people our age might know, like Pulp Fiction or whatever. Right. And you picture, okay, you can picture the Al Green song or the uh, the preacher, Preacher's song. Uh, what, sorry, Preacher's Son, right. right? When that song comes on and she's getting ready upstairs and she's doing lines and he's John Travolta's downstairs and he's like looking around uh, at the at the room and the song comes on, right? So it's not necessarily just a pop song. It could be, I'm just calling it a right. pop song. But there are also times when you have to compose things. You have to write music for that spot. So that's a different role. That's not music editing. So for me, on the first Paw Patrol movie, I did both. I did. I composed three tracks, but I also music edited the whole movie, which was, I forget, uh, let's say it was 10 different needle drops. Does okay. that make sense? It it's kind of convoluted if you haven't. Yeah, but sorry, because I know when we talked about this before, I was having trouble with it. But, <laughs> but tell me, um, and then when you explain what you actually wrote the songs for, then that made more sense. So give me an example of why you had to write a piece of music for a certain needle drop. So, so, so I think we've got it confused a little bit. So when I say needle drop, that's an, another artist's song. Okay, so it has to be... It's already out in the world, and unless... So, for instance, on the last Paw Patrol movie, the first one, let's say there was 10 different needle drops, meaning those are pre-existing pop songs that are out in the world that someone could just go on Spotify and listen to or go on, you know, buy the record, buy it on vinyl, Right. And those drop into the movie at key points for key scenes, and it's a break from the score. Okay, does that so make sense? It does make sense. Um, are these songs? Is your role to pick those songs, or do they tell you, you know what, we no. need you to? There's song a music here. supervisor in LA whose job it is to pick songs that'll fit with the demographic they're going for, that'll fit with the vibe. They can't, so there's a lot of boxes to check, right? It's it's a kid's movie, so they want it to feel new and modern, but they don't want it to be too edgy. It can't be too hardcore. There can't be any swearing in it, these kinds of things, right? right? Um, do they think about, I mean, every time I deal with music in the documentary world, the first thing that comes to mind is, can we afford that piece of music? That's the next piece. Right? I mean, is that? I mean, for us, it's the number one consideration. I and think. that's one of the reasons why they have to get the music editor to edit it and make damn sure it's working perfectly for what they want. They want to see it cut to picture before they do the deal because 
those songs, especially if they're well-known songs, can be really expensive to license, as that's what you're talking about exactly. I mean, it's the worst thing to see a documentary film about somebody and they can't afford the They music. can't afford the, the music for the, the <laughs> yeah. artist yeah. in question. Yeah, 100%. People, that must be so confusing for people who don't work in music. And they're just like, yeah, I just watched this great film about whatever artist and there was none of their music in the movie because they couldn't make a deal with the, like, the estate or whatever. And, and, and can, it can be like ridiculously expensive and ridiculously demanding and whatever. But... So do they even search that out before you put it? Like, you know, there's some, some songs that are untouchable. They're just too expensive or whatever. Exactly right. That's so exactly guess, right. So the music supervisor's job, that's one of the big parts of the job is to find you songs that are going to check all the boxes you want, but that you that fit into your budget. But and one of the big things they're looking for, because you got to think too, this is Paw Patrol. It's a multinational company and they're looking at things in terms of cross promotion, right? So if they're licensing, uh, you know, pick the pick a band song, they want the cross promotional value of that to promote the movie. And they, they want some of that cultural cachet as well, right? And, and and you know if it's done right, it's going to benefit the artist, like one hundred percent. That's or the about, publishing. You, you hope it's mutually beneficial, right? Yeah. So when this was initially, oh, okay. So that's that's the one part of it. That's the, other the needle part drop of it. part. And just there's another piece to it too, especially on these two movies. So let's say that I uh, forgive me because I don't know exactly how many needle drops there there were in each, but let's say there were ten in each, and one of those there's usually one that was done for the movie, meaning they picked a big artist, they got a big songwriter. And they had them write a song specifically for the movie. So for the first movie, it was Adam Levine. Wow. And for this movie, it just was released, it's Christina Aguilera. And so I get all of the demo versions of those, and that gets cut to picture way before the star ever sings on it. So it's really interesting to get to see the evolution of from the demo with the demo singer to then they replace the vocal and they they keep adding stuff. And it's... It's cool. It's I, that's a really fun part of the process. Okay, so the other side of the process is they need music uh-huh. in the scene. There's a band that's playing on the street corner or yeah. something, mm-hmm. and then you have to compose that. Yeah, and that's not strictly music editing. That's composing, and that's. I'm lucky that I was able to get in to do that because usually, that would fall either to the composer who's you know doing all the score or it would fall to a third-party composer it's it's i think it's pretty rare for the music editor to also do that kind of composing but on the first movie i got pretty lucky and the way it sort of played out is we went through a process on (laughs) one of the needle drops and they had a reference it was it it was a, a hair metal song right and so they wanted this this scene that was sort of tongue in cheek where um I don't know if you know Paw Patrol. There's there's a mayor who's kind of a Trump-like character. Right. He's like a supposed to be a doofus, and he, he's it, it's basically the election is rigged, and he's supposed to look really stupid. And they're playing this hair metal song to make him look like a goof, and they couldn't find a song that worked. All the hair metal tracks that we cut to picture were like they didn't sound that great, or the lyrics weren't just right, and or either that or they you know 
didn't fit into the budget because you couldn't buy the like you know the most expensive hair metal track so they they asked me hey could you write one and i'm like yeah that's right up my alley i grew up in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> so that's an example of how that could you know i could uh, a person could fall into that okay so i know from working in film that music how important a role music plays mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of setting a mood or just changing the scenery or whatever and and it can break or make a scene mm-hmm. or a movie or a documentary oh it's so important yeah and it's, it's and it's not it's not an easy thing you know when, when we're looking to do a short film and we need to pick music it's a difficult thing to pick the right music and to know that this is the thing or well, at least I find it very difficult. And are you typically picking from pre-existing music or are you working with composers? Um, we've done both. Done but both, there are yeah. times when we will just, we'll, we'll need something from like a music library. Right. Right. And we just need an instrumental that's going to run in the background. Mm-hmm. But just that tone and then that feel has to be it's got to be just right. Yeah. It, it telegraphs so much of the emotion that you're trying to get. And if it's telegraphing the wrong thing, it really, it really doesn't work. And it's also very subjective. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, when you started doing this, did you, like you said, this is something that you, you had kind of worked all your life for. And it was an easy, not easy solution, but... It was something that you you had kind of prepared yourself all your life being a mm-hmm, musician or whatever. Mm-hmm. But once you got into the nitty gritty of doing this, you know, at our age, anytime you do something new, <laughs> our age. What age are we talking about here, Marco? <laughs> I, I think I'm a little older than you, but but it's something new, right? I mean, this is this is something that. So ironically, I, I see the question you're asking, but it wasn't something new for me, really at all, other than the working with the team and getting the specific feedback, but in terms of the nuts and bolts of what I was being asked to do, writing tracks in different styles I'd been doing for the previous 10 years. That's what we just talked about, you know, doing, doing a hard rock record, then doing a blues record, then doing a singer songwriter record, then doing ads that needed hip hop style production or, you know, super pop electronic kind of synthy production and I'd, I'd done all of that and so you know on the last movie when they asked me for one hair metal track and one kind of hip-hop kind of 90s gangster rap without vocals kind of thing and then they wanted another one that was more like a roots country thing and I'm like yeah I can do all that no problem and what and was it as easy as you thought it would so be? I I don't want to say it was easy, but it certainly was in my wheelhouse. Like meaning I find working with references like that, especially when someone has a really good idea of what they want, that makes my job easy. What's hard is when someone kind of gives you carte blanche and you know, the the classic thing is I'll know and when I see it, the people joke about that. Right. And you're like, no, that's not what you want to hear because Back to your point, it's so subjective and it's so music, all those little cultural flags that are planted in those styles matter so much. So when someone gives you really tight goalposts, all you got to do is is hammer it between those, right? So it's refreshing. I find it, I find I can work quickly when, when you've got good references. 
Um, making an animated film is also a very tedious process. So how did you adjust to that whole process of, like, it takes a long time. It does. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. They, they, it's, it's, I hadn't seen the way it was done, but like I said, they start with voice and temp music and temp dialogue and then they get the actors in and then they build on it. And this happens over more than two years. Are you seeing any sketches? Yeah, so you're and... seeing really crude storyboards at the beginning with without moving. They're not moving yet at that point. And then it transitions to, um, you know, I'm trying to translate it in a way for, for people who haven't seen it. More like stick figure type animation that's actually animated at that point. But, but you still to make music you... at that level, at that point in the movie. At that point in the movie, yeah, at a certain point, you've got some of the stuff is animated and it looks kind of closer to what you'll see in the movie. And then, you know, for two seconds, and then there's a second of just a still image. And then there's a second or two of stick figure animation. And then there's, you know, something fully realized. And you just live with it like that because... That's the process. So does the music ever affect, other than the mood, but does it affect the way things are drawn or the things are, the way it's animated? Or the animation goes one way or the other. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, I think the... So I was just with the editor today, and that's what we were talking about, is the idea that the editor will start with some kind of reference of temp music and temp score and that'll help him or her come up with the arc and the pace of editing i don't know if you do that in your editing work i find that you know especially short films that we do um a lot of the short films we do are based on holocaust survivor stories uh -huh. so they, they tend to be pretty mellow songs right right melancholy whatever but yeah in in those cases i find having music I guess it doesn't matter. For me, having music of any kind, whether it's temp track or not, is really important just for me to set the mood. And so will you start with a temp track and then sort of use that pacing or rhythm or feel to, to sort of inform your editing decisions? Yeah. Like so I, that, yeah. And, and there was, we used to do a bunch of short films on Holocaust survivor stories. And I would, I would always use this one really depressing track just to start the edit, just so that I could get my head into that and set that mood. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, we wouldn't use that track in the end, but we wanted something like that. Um, but I find editing with music is essential to what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times when I have to just cut together a lot of different uh, voices or whatever and there was, without any music, and it just doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. So... I, I, I totally appreciate how 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 much how important music is. So, so I guess to answer your question, yes, it does inform the way the edit goes in some way, even if it's not the the temp music does. So, this, like you're saying, even though that's not the final music. Yeah, and then there's also that that issue of falling in love with the temp music. Yeah, yeah, that's the classic yeah. thing that happens. Um, Okay, so when did this happen? When was this? When did you start working on this? On Paw Patrol One, I started in late fall of 
2021 would have been i don't know december november okay. december and that that movie was already well on its way it was released less than a year later so they were pretty far along they'd already been working for more than a year so what did you learn about yourself in that process about myself or about your ability to do that or well like i said one of the things i learned was i already had like as so i'm working in pro tools which is a software that's industry standard for music production and i felt really good about my skills on that software and that's sort of what i was saying i'd been training for a decade at that point because the kinds of from a technical standpoint what you're asked to do on pro tools relative to producing a whole track is is relatively simple but the hard part is serving the picture and serving the the arc of the story so it's a different mindset and so i felt really good from a technical standpoint but like understanding the workflow with the whole team because it's a really big team and i hadn't been I don't work with a team that size before. And so that was an adjustment, but it was, I didn't find it difficult. If anything, like I've been saying over and over tonight, having strong direction is really helpful because a lot of the time as a producer, I was the one making all of those calls or at least in collaboration with an artist. But often the artist is looking to you to be sort of the final word or to, to trust to make, whereas in this case, I was not that final decision. So that was kind of liberating in the sense that I was just serving someone else's vision. And I really loved that. Did you, did you get their vision immediately? Do you know what I mean? Because once again, music is so subjective. So when they said, oh, I, I'm not sure about this. Can you do this, this, this? I was all ears and I still am because because to me there's so many like they're they're relying on me to do the nitty-gritty you know get in the weeds and get the thing done according to their direction but I think of my friend Cal who's the director and writer and he co-writes it with uh, Bob Barlin uh, who I've also known for years and years but all Kitchener guys all three of us it's ironic we went to the same high school if you can believe that we didn't know each other in high school but what I'm getting to is I marvel at the high level thinking that those guys have to like they're working with hundreds of animators and you know picture editor and I don't even know all the different things that the animators do like you know there's whole teams of people that just do the animation and then there's the you know the shading in the backgrounds and the it and to keep your eye on that ball of this huge behemoth that you've been steering for years <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then you're dealing with the execs at Spin Master and at Paramount and at Nickelodeon who have their own agendas of what they're trying to do and to balance to keep all those balls in the air and they're asking me to do a really small specific thing with music so uh I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I marvel at, uh, I guess, to the question you just asked, I don't try and jump into the, like I have, I don't really understand all the boxes that need to be checked from their perspective. That's what I'm trying to get right. at with that kind of big picture, all those balls in the air. I just try and 
do the best I can with my music knowledge to make the arc of the music they're presenting me serve the story. And in the end, they're the big picture decision maker. You and see how what do I mean? you get that? I mean, obviously, so, the fact that they asked you to do the second film yeah. says that you did a good job on the first one. Uh huh. But along the way, are you getting feedback from the director, from the editor, or somebody that says, yeah, you're on the right track, you're doing a great job? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm the kind of person who needs that too. It's nice to, <laughs> to feel like you're doing a good job, especially early on. Yeah. But I guess another way to explain what I was just explaining is if there, if, because of the way the process is set up, I try not to second guess what's working and what isn't. Right. I try and, so if they're giving me 10 different tracks to cut to the same picture for that same minute, I'm going to try and make them all work the best I can because I don't really know what they want. And so I might edit all 10 tracks and I'll have my favorites. I'll know which one I think are working, but this is a discussion I had with Cal, the director, a few times where he was like, well, which ones do you think are working? And I always wanted to say, I don't want to tell you which ones I think are working because it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. And I found we always got the best result when, you know, the one he picked was the one I thought was going to work. And then you go, okay, it's clearly working as opposed to, because as soon as I say, tell him which one I think yeah, is yeah. working, it's going to influence him, even though he's not going to listen to me. He's got, you know, he's thinking way bigger picture, like i just been telling you. Uh, it's still, like, as soon as you've said, I think this one's the, the clear winner, it, you're a human being and it influences you somehow, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, it must be nice for you to know, oh, yeah, that's the one I thought, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes there's... Yeah, sometimes there's uh, biases that I might have that are not checking the boxes that they want to check. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm conscious of that, and I try and try and remain as unbiased as I can. That's I think that's a big part of the job, actually. You're also doing some work with commercials. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? So Matt Barnes is is a quite a well-known photographer for still images in Canada. He does lots of famous personalities and you you recognize, if you go to his website, he, he just does celebrities from sports to, you know, film, TV, movies, uh, you know, just cultural <laughs> icons. But he, he does a lot of commercial work too. And I've known him and done a lot of work over the years with him just for some of his creative projects, but also on a variety of commercials. So, you know, we've got a great relationship. And he's another example of someone who has a really specific idea of what he wants almost always. So when he calls me up, he's like, I've got this thing and and here are the references. And, I, you know, I can do it really quickly most of the time. Really? And it's, it's, it's not so much quickly like I'm rushing. It's just really obvious to me what he wants. And oftentimes I'll send him one thing and it doesn't need revisions at all. He's just like, nope, that's it, man. Nailed it. And wow. I, that, that, that kind of relationship is really gratifying. You can hear me giggling just because it's so fun. Like the last thing we did was this, uh, well, the last thing I did with him, I mean, he's, he's doing stuff constantly, um, was a Staples commercial. So it was, uh, it, I forget what the tagline was. 
something to do with their pricing at like the 90s. So they wanted like a 90s throwback to like early 90s kind of hip hop stuff and pop music. So that's the kind of track I built. A bunch of references like that. And uh, it was <laughs> it was a blast. Wow. Um, I So are you looking to get into more of that film kind of work or? Like commercial work. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do more of that kind of stuff. I mean, I've done a fair amount. Of, we did a bunch of stuff for Garage. You know, the uh, he's he does a lot of Garage. That it's like a teen, late teen uh, girls clothing manufacturer. So the music tends to be really fun in that too. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of all all the different ones we've done. How much how much time are you spending on commercials? It varies. Usually, if he calls me, it's like. It's sporadic. Um, I'm trying to think of how many I've done in the last couple of years. I don't know. Half a dozen. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so how much writing are you doing of your own stuff now? I'm just starting to get excited about doing that again. I haven't done it for more than a decade. I've really missed it. So I've got to be honest. You haven't written at all. I know you've written like with stuff other people. for me. Like like I was saying, you yeah. know, when I was producing five six records a year, I was writing lots. So I was like I said. 50, but in that 60 time, you never wrote anything just for yourself. Just for myself, just because there's only so many hours in a day, and I think there's something to like. Just I don't know if you find this. There's a creative sort of, I'm not going to call it burnout, but I mean, there's a certain amount of creative energy you have, I think. Right. And I was just finding myself not, you know, if I was writing all day or I'd just written, you know, you get all of those ideas out and they end up serving someone else's vision and, and that's fine. That's great. I had fun doing that. But lately I've been finding that I feel like I want to express something myself that, you know, how does that happen? Like, how does that work itself? You're like, give me an example of why it's, to express. You know what it is? I find it's just, it's an itch that needs to be scratched. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that doesn't go away. It's just something tugging at your pant leg that you need to express. And what I realized is that it's, it sounds cliched or like almost trite to say, but I think what I'm realizing now at the age I'm at is that music was playing a certain kind of medicinal role in my life that I didn't realize it was playing or that I had some sense that it was, but I haven't been taking that medicine and I think I need to be doing it. It's just, there was a reason I, I came to do music the way I, I'm doing it. Actually, you know, it's certainly a lottery if you're, you know, when I was making decisions of, you know, in my early twenties about this was a, a good career choice, you know, that's not, I don't know if you're qualified to make those kinds of decisions at that age, but you know, that's how life goes. Right. But you're not in your twenties anymore. Uh -huh. You've been around for a little bit. Yeah. 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 And you're still doing it, which yeah, says something. Exactly. Right? It says that I'm compelled to do it. Doesn't it? I guess I, I'm a lifer. And, uh, if I could choose, to do something else I probably would I guess I can't 
So, okay, so so you get this itch to, is it to write? Is it to play? Is it to? So what I I, I find my so I guess when I was producing records, you know, all day every day for the, those many years, I was less compelled to when I got home late, whenever it was, or first thing in the morning when you get up. Like, was I going to pick up a guitar to just? be in that space where I'm just expressing something that I've been feeling. It's not like, it's a different process from, I don't think I'm unique in that. Just this, this idea that you make space to, to connect with whatever that is that you're trying to express. And it's a very, uh, I was going to say spiritual. It sounds like I'm not one to throw those kinds of terms around, I'm I'm a pretty uh, cerebral person. Right. I think people who know me well. So for me to say that, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and I think there's an aspect of that. So I was just not getting there for many years because I was just consumed with, I've got this project to finish and I'm, I've got this to do for this artist and I've got this other thing and oh, I got this other project coming up and you just don't get to it, right? Whereas lately whether I want to or not, I've been writing. It's not It's not like I've decided to do it. I'm just doing it. So, How does it happen? How does that take so shape? So again, it's like as a, as a rational person, if someone said that to me, I'd, I'd go, bullshit, what do you mean? You, you don't just do it by, I mean, you have to go and pick up the guitar, don't you? <laughs> so what? how does it happen for me is I find myself writing lyrics and so I'm, I'm miming right now in front of the mic that i'm uh typing with my thumbs on my phone so lyrics are coming into your so head so they just come into my head and blam boom 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 i'm writing all this down and it's it's funny for me because i was never a lyrics first first guy usually i'm a you know throughout my life when i was younger it was always music first and then i'd try and hammer lyrics into you know shoehorn them into the musical structure and every once in a while i'd have both come you know, just delivered to me at, at the same time. But lately, as I get older, um, it's it's been lyrics first, which is different. When does the melody come in? Pardon me? Does it ever start with a melody? Um, for me, I've had a few that, that de- are delivered to me that way, where it's kind of all <laughs> neatly wrapped and, and it's almost like taking dictation. But those are pretty rare. I'm, I tend not to be melody first. Uh, it'll be some sort of chord structure and then I'll get into the right headspace and then I'll sort of play with it and, and stream of consciousness, just sing something. And sometimes that'll be it. Or sometimes I'll play around with it for a long time. But I don't know if this, is this the kind of thing that's interesting to people? It's such a, well, it is to a, me. a specific... Uh, process. Uh, it's funny when I when I talk about it like this to people who aren't musicians, it almost sounds like really you do that. <laughs> well, because we don't understand. <laughs> you it. don't even know. Like it's it seems. Well, I guess it's like freestyling, you know. Like, but or it's like you don't know what you're going to say when we're having a conversation before you say it. No, I will. You just out. you just <laughs> you just say something. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Right, and, and and oftentimes people talk about music like a conversation. Yeah. But for those of us who don't play music and who admire musicians and what they do, mm-hmm. that idea of just picking up a guitar and being able to converse is, is 
fascinating. But that, that's a great that's a great analogy right there. I think that that encapsulates it pretty well. Like you know, you have your musical vocabulary, and you have your musical ability on whatever instrument if to accompany yourself. And then so once you get to a certain level, you're conversant, you know, and you can have a conversation like that. Right. But okay, so you've been at that level for a while. And and yet you decided that you had other things to do and you weren't inspired. I was just to... having conversations with other people. Right. I was having other people's conversations. Okay. <laughs> but the fact that you're having ins- you're inspired now to either pick up your phone and write lyrics mm-hmm. or to pick up the guitar and play a bunch of chords. Mm-hmm. Is it is it the act of just writing? Is it the act of playing? Is it with the goal of maybe working another album? Like, is it, or does that have anything to do with that? So where I'm at now, that's why I kept, uh, I've been saying just expression. That's what seems like it's important to me now. And it's funny, I came to, so I listen to podcasts religiously. And I forget who I was listening to. I think it might've been Jeff Tweedy from Wilco talking about his favorite artists and I think he was saying something along the lines of it it really feels like it doesn't feel like a song it doesn't feel like they set out to write a song and they're you know they compose this piece and now I'm going to play this piece for you it feels like pure expression Hmm. and so I kind of got hung up on this idea and it's funny to say it like that it's not it's it's more like i recognized what was important to me hearing him say that and then that might have been you know 5 6 years ago and what i find myself doing these days is it's not with any goal in mind it's not like i'm going to sit down and write a song or i should go and do this because i've had an album that i want to release it's none of that it's i find myself compelled to do this thing almost without realizing it because I guess I need to express something. Have you completed a song yet? Not words and music. I've been fooling around with, like like I said, I have lots of, I find myself just writing, I've got many, many songs, lyrics. And so the, the one deliberate part I have been doing is, is I have said, oh, I've got all these lyrics. Maybe I should try and marry them with music somehow. So that's been that's been interesting because I've never approached it quite like that. And do you think is that process painful? Is probably not the right word, but sometimes in creative endeavors, it is a painful process to create. Or has, was it ever a painful process to create for you? Uh, I mean, other than stuff like expressing things that are difficult to express because it may be uh, an emotion that is fraught or an experience that is, I was going to say traumatic. I don't know, that may be extreme, but I think you get what I'm saying. If, If it's something that's a difficult thing to express because it was sad or hard or whatever like that, yeah. But that's typically not what it is. Usually, like the the best, the stuff that I end up liking the best usually makes me giggle, <laughs> or or a lot. Like that's when I know it's good. Right. We're all like 
say something or do something without realizing because it's not like like I was saying it's like having a conversation you're surprised what comes out of your mouth and often if it's if it's if I think it's good it makes me laugh even if it's not necessarily funny, funny. yeah it's just like oh my god can you say that <laughs> like sometimes it's like something really harsh or something really true like true enough that you go <laughs> that's that's shocking <laughs> It's not like I'm trying to say like it's so good. I just mean it's it makes me laugh if it surprises me in in some way. That's that's a fun part of the process for me. But ultimately, it's about the song, is it? Um, I'm not sure. So, so people say that, but in this context, I'm not sure what you mean exactly. Like relative to making yourself laugh by. By, saying something unexpected but it's creating this thing that is hopefully a tune that you've created uh-huh is it is that not I'm maybe that goal is not the right word i think i know what you're getting at so this is something so i've done a a good bit of reading about um other people's process songwriters so this is this great book songwriters on songwriting have you heard of this book no. it's great it's it's like a lot of the greatest writers singer songwriters over the years so i think they interview it's a compilation of interviews with like leonard cohen and bob dylan and Joni mitchell and sinead o'connor and you know all the way down the line paul simon so the reason uh, i'll stop on paul simon I'm being really non-linear here, but uh, the thing that I'm focusing on about the reason I brought the book up is time and time again, you hear writers like this say something that really resonates with me. And that's usually that when they're writing, they're not trying to serve the song in that way. They're not, it's hard to express it's you the the way i've heard it best expressed is if you've got a goal in mind or if i you're trying to do something it's usually not going to produce your best work it's better if you let yourself sort of be guided by whatever your instincts are and you try not to be too cerebral and so it's more of a process of um like uncovering or like archaeology or something where you're dusting something off and you're realizing what it is as you're doing it. Right. You've probably heard people say that with yeah. all the interviews you've done, right? Yeah. So does that make sense? It In the context of, of um, not wanting to apply too much will to it. You know what I mean? Like, like I heard Paul Simon in, I, I don't know if it was in that book or what, he, he talked about something that really resonated with me. I'm not trying to compare myself to him in terms of quality, but it just the, the process resonated with me where he says, if I set out to say something, I'm usually way less interested in that than discovering I want to say something through the process. Do you see the distinction? I do see the distinction. Um, I... I find, do you know Jason Isbell? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, when I listen to him, I just think he is the most amazing songwriter. Yeah. And I don't, uh, and I'm not like this person who goes deep into a song and understands the meaning, And but I listen to him, and it just 
blows my mind that what he can do with music and with song. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people when I interview them, they talk about how things just go through them. They Mm -hmm. come out and it's not, they almost think that it's nothing that they had to do with it. It's just, right. They're the, the, the transport or whatever. Like it's, it really, a discovery seems to be. But when I hear his stuff, yeah, I just think it's there's got to be a lot of thought and work into his songs, and maybe I'm wrong, but see, I wonder, I wonder, huh? I, don't, I, I, I don't, haven't read a lot about his process. I'd be curious, yeah, I'd because be I think I know what you mean. Because it, for someone like him or, or like Leonard Cohen comes to mind, there's there seems to be so like craft involved. Like the thought I have is like, how could you do that? without a certain amount of craft. Right. There must be some like either editing or, you know, it can't just blam come out like that, can it? But um, it's funny, I'm just spouting out things that I haven't necessarily articulated before, but the thought I'm having as it relates to the Paul Simon thing I was just saying, just because you're following your nose and your instincts that way and, and having this process of discovery doesn't mean you don't also apply a lot of craft to it once you have the raw materials, right? right? So, yeah. Again, Paul Simon, I remember uh, I was just listening to, I think it was the Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he did a, a, a biography with him. Oh, I haven't checked that it out. It's really great. And the audiobook is great. It's best, basically a long interview with Malcolm Gladwell interviewing Paul about all of these songs and talking about the process. It's fantastic. It's so good. I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if he said it in this or some other uh, interview promoting the book, but he was talking about his initial, like the really raw material is often really kind of negative and cynical, but he kind of pushes past that. And gets to sort of a bigger truth that may not be as negative and cynical. And that's that's where he hopes to end up. But he's still sort of discovering where he wants it to go. Anyway, the, I guess I'm really getting into the weeds here. But I, I just find a lot of that resonates with me. The idea that you're, you're following your nose and you're chasing your instincts and... But it doesn't mean you're you're not going to apply a lot of craft to it ultimately at some point. So I guess it's a, a marriage of of the two. You're going to apply some will to it at some point. So this is an exciting time for you. <laughs> it's scary, I guess. <laughs> Why is it scary? It's a good question. As soon as it came out of my mouth, like, what do I have to be scared of? It's, it's not like uh, anyone's waiting for it, really. Right. Well. So, so well, I, I didn't mean that to be self-effacing. Like, no, like, yeah, there's a few people who would like to hear some of my music, but I'm not scared for them to hear it. I don't think. I think I'm just scared of of doing. I don't know. I guess the process itself is is daunting in some way. Do you not feel that with with creative pursuits that really? expose you in some way i don't know if what i do really exposes me no but i do find whatever i take take on daunting (laughs) like it's that that's not an unusual feeling 
especially when I have to start something. Starting I mean, is hard. Starting is hard and um, going through the process because oftentimes I will get raw footage and I'll say cut something 10 minutes long and I'll go through the process of trying to understand the thing and then I'll assemble something and somewhere in the beginning I go through this self-loathing thing of, <laughs> I'm not good enough to do this. This sucks. I can totally I relate to that. That's okay. So I'm surprised that this film work you didn't when you when they said okay, can you do music editing? And this is even though you've kind of done it, you haven't really done it for an animated film, and mm-hmm. it was brand new that you you didn't go through. God damn it, I'm not good enough. I felt confident. Um, I, I I wonder why. <laughs> uh, I definitely felt confident in skills. I had the technical skills as an engineer, as a as a producer, and understanding how music is put together, which can inform, you know, how you edit and what you edit and where you can edit mm-hmm. and all of that. So maybe. Maybe I just felt confident in in the body of work that I'd done at that point that could inform it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. But I guess it's funny because I was really relating to what you're saying. When I'm producing something, I always go through that feeling of, or even writing a song, I'll be often early on before you really get it up on its legs. I always have the feeling of this is terrible. I'm no good at this. I hate this. <laughs> Even though I've done it a million times, and then I know that if you just push through that, you eventually because you don't know what it is yet. You still, yeah. And I think it's it's not it's not part of the process exactly. And I I often I always laugh at myself because at some point you get over the hump and you're like, you kind of have that turning point. I don't know if you get this, where where you kind of breathe out and you're like, no, I'm good. I, I know I can make this good now. Now that I've gotten over that hump, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, I definitely do. But oftentimes yeah. it's, it comes down to, I will still think it's shit until somebody says, you know, that's not that <laughs> really? bad. Yeah. I, I oh, mean, I, I really tough. struggle with that. That's tough. Because the, the process that I was just describing for me is once I get over that hump, I really have a sense of, no matter what anyone else thinks, I know how I want to do this and this is going to work and I feel good about that. And then I immediately think, why was I so aggravated and irritated for the last, you know, whatever few hours of this process? Because I knew I'd eventually get here because I'll just keep working at it until it works. So why why not, why not enjoy it while you're doing that? But I think, I really honestly think, I've talked to a lot of people about this. And I think a lot of people are like this. You kind of need to have that maybe maybe certain personalities need that sense of discomfort to drive them to like basically you're not going to be comfortable until it's good right right. (laughs) and that that drives you to make it good and then once it's good then you can kind of say okay now i can relax so why do you think you're writing with lyrics first as opposed to music first why do you think that's happening right now uh maybe because i'm older i don't know i don't know what to say 
<laughs> no, you're not that old. No, no. I mean, uh, I, I didn't. I don't feel like old in an absolute sense, but I'm older than I was. I mean, it's funny. When I was a kid, I used to look at artists as they got older. Like, like let's say you look at John Lennon's later material. That's right. an example. And a lot of people might think I'm uh, a heretic for saying this, but when I was younger, I used to kind of look at that and go, yeah, he, he didn't, he got worse as he got older because I was judging it in an almost purely musical sense, mm-hmm. like meaning he wasn't writing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or like musically sophisticated stuff. As he got older, it, was, it seemed to be, you could tell it was more lyric driven, you know? And so in my mind, as a younger person, I was like, that's a compromise. Because to me, music, music's what it's all about. Right. If it doesn't have the musical... Uh, element that's like you know universal doesn't matter what language it is that transcends all borders and that is the the spiritual musical thing whereas I guess now I look at it and I go oh no okay it's a different thing it's it's almost like you're trying it's it's not just about the tune there's like a deeper meaning that people get to as they get older maybe you know like imagine versus Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds Right. right But it makes you wonder, I mean, when, when people have that kind of success that early, which is ridiculous. Yeah, he's, a, he's a, a, an outlier, of yeah. course. But then you think, well, they can either, you just expect them to continue and nobody can. Mm-hmm. But it's a different thing as they get older. And, and I mean, they have nothing to prove, right? <laughs> it makes me think of, uh, you know, Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he interviewed Paul McCartney. I love that interview. Yeah, that was in the live auditorium, right? Yeah, uh, and he no, made it no, so. He, Paul was in a car talking to him on on like oh. on a, on the phone in a car. Okay, so I heard one where he interviewed him in a live. Really? Setting. Yeah, I'm sure because I was amazed at how. I didn't hear that. We'll have to check this. So what I was getting at about it is, <laughs> he you he, he Mark kind of in his way. I don't know if he was trying to needle Paul, but he was trying to, the way he set it up was, you know, obviously Paul McCartney, you've been playing for all these decades, but, you know, I've interviewed lots of artists who've been playing over the decades. And he was kind of saying, they're always flogging their latest album and they're always saying it's their best work. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're saying that this is their best work. So Paul... What do you think? Is this your best work? And Paul just kind of stops. There's a beat and he goes, I was in the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was cool. What do you though. think? Yeah. I, I can't imagine like to compete against yourself like that. Yeah. Uh, I, but he will continue to make music because that's what he does. Yeah. Because what's he supposed to do? Like, you know, he loves music. He's not just going to stop just because it's not, it's not going to be the Beatles. Right. So we should wrap this up. But musically, are you gigging? Yeah, I'm playing more. And I'd like to be playing even more than I'm playing. I, I'd love to play with a band these days. I really, uh, yeah, covers, whatever. I, 
anyone listening, <laughs> I miss playing with people because I, I went through a stage where, you know, I was playing solo as a singer songwriter, and then and you know I went from playing in band scenarios, and I really miss that. But bands are difficult, though, right? Yeah, they can be, but I just miss playing with people. Yeah, and I love I love hard rock music, like I love metal and like you know real sludge heavy <laughs> stuff so i'd love to get a band like that going it's just so visceral so uh there's lots of, i got time <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting couple of years what what do you mean because... i just mean you know I'm, I'm super excited about the film work i'm doing i'm really excited about expanding that and i i just had a conversation i think i can go public with this they they announced the third paw movie is being greenlit so wow. that's official so I'll, I'll be working on that so that's going to be great and i'm hoping to to work on other film stuff as well so uh and you have your metal I'm, and i'm yeah exactly I, like that's a good life right i'm, well, I'm excited to, 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 to you know do a bunch of different things because like i said earlier i at a certain point i was kind of stuck in like oh you got to do just one thing but i don't think it has to be that no definitely not and that's great that you're really excited about it. Yeah. Well, I, ho yeah, thanks, I hope Martha. it happens. <laughs> this heavy metal band that you're <laughs> No, but you'll continue writing solo acoustic material. I'll, I'll, I'll see where it goes. Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff. I, I, I'd be surprised if I don't do something public with that sometime soon. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I don't want to make any promises. Well, Rob, thanks for doing this. I mean, when we last spoke and you were telling me about this new venture that you were going through, it just sounded neat. And, and the fact that you were able to use all your resources from the past to make this work and to, to you know, in, in a way, it sounds like it's brought joy back into other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really been a lift in a lot of ways to to be able to apply you know you do this your whole life and then you realize oh i can i can apply this to something that's not exactly what i thought i was going to be doing but yeah. i love it and also the fact that you're doing it with like a mega franchise right yeah like and, this is... and good friends yeah in addition like what's better than that sure well thanks again for doing this thanks for having me michael